All right, I want to welcome you today as we continue our series through the book of James called Faith in Action. And I want to talk to you this morning about a faith that works. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to James chapter 2. We'll be there in a moment. James chapter 2. But uh, let's play a quick game, would you? I will say a word, and then you say out loud the word that goes with it. All right, can we do that? Can you give it a try this morning? You awake? Okay, here we go. First one, macaroni and Yes, all right. You guys are good. Macaroni and cheese. Good job. Here's another one. Bacon and Actually, it's bacon. It's more bacon. Thank yes, more bacon. Uh, if you said eggs, we will accept that answer. Uh, but who doesn't love bacon? Bacon and eggs. Uh, here's another one. Lightning and thunder. Feel the thunder and the lightning. Oh, sorry, I have a song stuck in my head. Um, here's another one to help you get to know your pastor this morning. Um, in our house, the Vincent house, we have Friday night, family night. And every Friday, we always get Chick-fil-A, and we celebrate the end of the week. So we have our Friday night, family night. And if for some reason, we can't have that Friday night, family night. It just isn't right. Like, the kids are like, ah, oh, you know, what's going on? But uh, we have that. Friday night, family night. Last one, and this connects with our message this morning. Faith and works. Yeah, action or works. Good. Faith and works. And I want to show you today that faith and works go together. Just like all of those other pairs, faith and works are inseparable. You can't have one of those without the other. So I want you to think about that mac and cheese for a second, okay? Are you starting to get hungry just a little bit? Uh, I went to a restaurant one time called Noodles and Company. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, but I did order some mac and cheese. And the guy looked at me and he's like, he's like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, we have mac, but we don't have cheese. Do you still want it? I was like, uh, no. <laughs> Do I just want macaronis without any cheese? Of course I don't. That doesn't work. And in the same way, faith without works doesn't work. It's incomplete. Now, if you've been with us through this series, you know that the works that James has in mind are works of love. And if you'll go back to that slide with the, the heart that just reminds us. Um, James called it last week the royal law of love, and he's referring to the law of Jesus, the law of love. You remember um, somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And how many commands did Jesus give? Two typical Jesus. He said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But it shows that these two commands are indivisible. They go together, inseparable. Our love for God is demonstrated in the way that we love other people. Now, especially for James, uh, the loving others, he's, by loving others, he specifically means these acts of mercy. Things like looking after the widows and orphans in their distress, helping somebody who is poor, meeting the needs of someone who cannot pay us back. And the question today is, is our faith real? Is it alive? Do we put our faith into action? And we'll discover today that real faith really works, which is why our vision at Hope it is a caring place where God transforms lives. Our lives are being changed by Jesus. 
And so today we're going to come now to the summit of James' presentation of what he calls true, true religion. So if you have your Bible, I hope you're in James 2. Uh, pick it up with me in verse 14 as we look at a faith that works. James 2.14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good, even the demons believe that. And shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. I like that. I like that little statement. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's the word of the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? God, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word, God, that's so powerful, that meets us right where we're at this morning. And I just pray now as we uh, kick off a new week that we could uh, begin, Lord, hearing your word, recognizing your power in transforming our life, God. So speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking today at two reasons why faith and works or faith and action go together. And the first reason that faith and works go together, number one, James says, is because faith without works doesn't work. It, something is missing, like the macaroni without the cheese. It's just not going to work. It's incomplete. Take a look at verse 14. James says... What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Is this really a saving faith? Now, James is describing here somebody who is claiming to be a Christian. They believe in Jesus, but you would never see it in their life. It, it kind of reminds me of false advertising just a little bit. Uh, here's a pack of toys. This one says, World of Dinosaurs. But uh, do you guys see the, the toys in the pack? What are they? They're actually like cats. There's just a pack of cats. These are obviously not dinosaurs. A little bit of false advertising. You're hoping for dinosaurs and you just get a bunch of cats. All right, next one. Here's some rope. You got a person climbing with the rope. But I really hope you never try to climb with this rope. You're going to die. You're gonna, it's not going to work because what does it say? Not suitable for climbing. The rope with a climber on it is not suitable for climbing. Okay, here's a personal one. Uh, our family visited Angie's grandma in Shadron, Nebraska. It's a town of about 5,000. 
uh, you know, real small town here. And uh, we found this sign at a gas station. It's kind of hard to see, but I guess it's on your right. Do you see it where it says, world's greatest nachos? I'm a little skeptical. The greatest nachos in the world are in a small farm town in the middle of Nebraska. I don't think so. Maybe good nachos, probably not the world's best. We, got, we didn't try them, so I can't really say anything until I've tried it. But go back to verse 14. So James is talking here about a person who claims to have faith, but their life doesn't back it up. And he goes, what good is it? Is it any good for a person to go around saying they're a Christian, professing faith in Jesus Christ if they don't have any deeds? And then he asks this question, can such a faith save them? And the obvious answer is no. That kind of faith cannot save a person. James makes this point here that faith without works doesn't work. It isn't real. It cannot save. Real faith has to be more than just a claim that you make. Anybody can claim faith, but it's our actions that prove the reality of our profession of faith. Does that make sense? I love how Steve worded it just a couple of weeks ago. He, says, he said, real faith shows up in real life in real ways. Now, James goes further with two illustrations. You want to look at the first one. And once again, you might be noticing a lot of James' illustrations emphasize this care for the poor. And this one's similar, as we saw last week. He says in verse 15, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one says to, you, uh, one says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So I love how James just throws out these hypothetical, like real-world situations. He says, all right, imagine. There is a brother and sister in Christ. We're talking about a fellow Christian here, somebody who's a part of our spiritual family, and they are like struggling to meet their basic needs. They're, they lack like food or clothes. And he says, um, if we just kind of send them away with a bunch of like, Christian happy talk, you know, like, oh, go in peace, hope you stay warm and fed, um, you know, hope, hope you can figure it out, God bless you, you know, like, he's like, if that's all we do, I mean, how pathetic would that be? How have we shown that person the love of Jesus Christ? And James is saying, it's all talk, no action, and in the same way, faith without works is dead. So, how do we, here at Hope, care for the needs of people around us? And I want to show you today that God calls every one of us, as believers in Jesus Christ, to a ministry of mercy. So here's how we meet needs at Hope. First of all, number one, every, every member is a minister. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have a ministry of mercy. And we invite you to look around you. And to see what needs there might be. Uh, maybe after a snowstorm, you realize there's, needs, there's somebody that needs help shoveling their walk. Or maybe uh, someone is sick and you can provide them a, knee, a meal. Or you offer to watch someone's kids. Or maybe um, you can help with a home repair. 
See, mercy, I think, in a community often happens organically as we meet those simple needs around us. So here is the foundation. Number one, every member, every one of us is a mercy minister. The members are the ministers. Number two, another way we can meet needs here at Hope. We talk about small group care. And here at Hope, our small groups are not just a program in our church, but our small groups are the church. And so we want to invite you to be a part of Hope by being a part of a small group. Small groups are where we experience community and connection. It's where we can grow in our faith. And, and there are a lot of needs that go... Uh, there, there are a lot of many needs are unknown in a crowd, but they are met in community. And that's what I've seen throughout my life in church ministry. You know, we gather in a, in a crowd like this. And we don't always know the needs of people around us, but when you get in community with a group of people, those needs are often met. I love last week um, when Tom Bagby came up at the end and he just, he thanked our church family for the way we've supported him. But I also heard him particularly thank his small group. And our, our practical care for one another often happens in these small group communities. So what, what would be some examples? It could be meals for someone who's sick or grieving. It could be offering childcare and transportation when needed. Uh, helping somebody move. I have moved a lot of people in my time at Hope. But all of this is what we call the in-circle. We talk about up, in, and out. In there is our love one another. We're loving and caring for each other in our community. But we're also inviting our small groups to look outward. So could there be an out that your small group could do together? Uh, maybe there's an organization in the community, and one or two times this semester, you and your group are just going to go out, and you're going to serve together in our community. Or maybe you have a friend or a coworker or a neighbor who has a need, and you actually bring that to your small group, and together your group is able to go out and to meet that need. What we're doing is we're loving our neighbors and we're serving our city. And how do we do that? We can do that in our small groups, in our small group communities. It's just up in and out, just like Jesus. Number three uh, aspect of our mercy ministry is church benevolence. We all heard an announcement this morning about uh, our benevolence offering. So the first Sunday of every month, we take a benevolence offering. And as Brian mentioned last week at our annual meeting, you don't have to wait for the first Sunday of the month. Anytime you want to give towards benevolence, you just mark your donation as benevolence. But um, what is benevolence for? I think that's a great question. So benevolence ministry, the Hope Benevolence Ministry provides temporary financial assistance to our church family during times of serious need, especially when other options have been explored and deemed unavailable. So we just want to thank everyone who gives to our benevolence ministry. And if you're in a tough spot, please reach out for help. Talk to me, talk to one of our elders, because there is financial assistance available if you really are you know, dealing with some real tangible physical needs. Uh, we're also likely going to talk about other sources of help Things like work, things like family members, community and government resources, maybe it's just financial counseling, uh, whatever it is. Um, but this is one of the, the ways that we can meet needs here at Hope. So let's review our three ways of, of meeting needs, because we don't want to be like the, that example where it's like, oh, hey, sorry, you're struggling, just go be blessed. God bless you, friend. 
How do we meet needs? Uh, every member is a minister, a minister of mercy. Number two, small group care. Number three, church benevolence. And when you put all three of those together, I, I think we have a foundation here, I really believe, for an actual church mercy ministry. Are you guys seeing that? Um, you know, maybe if we, if we put our heads together and, um, you know, I think we could build on this idea together, don't you? There's a real possibility here. And uh, I just, seeing this gets me excited about how we could take our, our vision and expand that. So James' point is clear here at the end of uh, verse 17. We can't see a need and just do nothing. What good is that, James says? He says, faith without works is dead. It doesn't work. Now James gives us a second illustration in verse 18. It says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. So James here is imagining somebody who has this idea of separating faith and works where it's like hey i've got works i do good things but you like you're a faith person and i get that and that's no big deal and james is like well go ahead and talk about your faith all you want but i will show you my faith by what i do and hey by the way here's the illustration even the demons believe isn't that crazy isn't that like mind-blowing verse 19 you believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, pretty much everybody we know probably believes in God. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not that uncommon. Uh, George Gallup did a, a, a poll that showed four in five American adults say they believe in God. You guys know who else believes in God? What to say? The demons, wow. And it says they know God is real and they shudder. These demons even have some good theology, don't they? Those demons, they know God is one, right? But, but what good does that knowing do? How about this? Zero. Demons have knowledge without any change. And so maybe you're here today and you believe in God. You grew up in a Christian home. You prayed a prayer. James would say, good. How are you any different than a demon? And the difference is action. Actions prove the reality of our faith. Then he makes this statement in verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he's kind of saying, hey, what more do we need? He's given us two illustrations um, one from uh, mercy in the church, and then this other one of the demons. And he's like, would you want any more evidence than that? That faith without deeds is useless. And he proved his point. So first point um, from this passage, number one, faith without works doesn't work. It can't save. It's not real. So don't be fooled by a false view of faith. What is real faith look like? And that brings James to a second point. His second point is that real faith really works. Real faith changes our life. Saving faith transforms us. We can't stay the same. James again uses two examples. He had two negative examples and now he's going to give us two positive examples. 
Abraham and Rahab, they illustrate this truth. Real faith really works. So let's start with Abraham. Verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. James quotes Genesis 15, 6. It's right there in the middle. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteous. How was, how did, what was it that made God view Abraham as righteous? Was it his good works? What does it say in Genesis? No, it wasn't his works. He just believed in God. He trusted God. And the Apostle Paul will grab on to this verse in Galatians 3.8. And he actually calls it the gospel in advance. The good news that We're saved, we're considered righteous, not by our works, but by faith and faith alone. So what is the good news? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The good news of the gospel is that our salvation comes through faith. The apostle Paul was asked, what must I do to be saved by a Philippian jailer? And do you remember what he said? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We're saved by faith, not by works. So have you believed in Jesus? Have you trusted in Christ? We're sinners and Christ died for those sins. He rose from the dead and he proved his claim that he was who he claimed to be. And there is only one way to be forgiven and to become a, what we call in, our, in children's ministry, God's forever friends. How do I begin a new relationship with God? How do I stand righteous in God's sight. It is not by our works, but it is by faith. We come trusting in Jesus Christ, confessing our sins, grabbing onto his sacrifice on that cross, paying the price as our only hope and our only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, maybe you're saying, wait, wait, hold on, Brian. Hold on here. James says a person is considered righteous... What does it say at the end? By what they do and not by faith alone. What does that mean? Is James contradicting Paul? That would go on? No, not at all. Because what does James say about Abraham and his great sacrifice that he was willing to make? Well, I just want to point out a couple of things. Number one, James says you've... um, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. So it's a working together of faith and action. Number two, I like this. He said, um, faith was made complete by what he did. And faith was fulfilled by what he did. So actions fulfill faith or they complete faith. Faith, uh, so you can think of it this way. James and Paul go together like two sides of the same coin. They don't contradict one another. They complement one another. Paul is saying, we're saved by faith. James is saying, this is what saving faith looks like. It looks like Abraham, whose 
faith went beyond mere words and mere thoughts. Abraham put his faith into action. Now, Paul also puts faith and works together. Just to, so you guys can see that, that he's not uh, that much different than James here. Ephesians chapter 2, let's put up that scripture. Here's what Paul says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Can we just rejoice in that right now, that salvation is God's gift to us? We receive it freely. It's simply by his grace, not by our works, not by uh, checking off the boxes or some sort of like spiritual checklist. No, none of those things. It's the gift of God. It's not by works, so no one can boast. And then he says this in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we trust in Christ and we are saved, we're reconciled to God, we become God's handiwork. He puts the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Our lives begin to change. So Paul is making it plain here. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. A great church father, John Calvin, said it like this. It's faith alone that justifies... But faith that justifies is never alone. Though Abraham was justified by his works, his works showed that he believed. Because actions prove that our faith is real, and they are the result of real, living, and genuine faith. Real faith really works. So then, uh, let's go to our second example. After this, <laughs> James gives us a, another example from an unlikely source. This is a, an outsider, a sinner, a prostitute named Rahab. And her story is told in the book of Joshua, which tells how her faith in God led her to take an incredible risk and to hide the Israelite spies. Listen to what James writes in verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous. For what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab put her faith in action. And she becomes a great hero of the faith. She becomes listed, the Bible has a, so we call it the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You'll find Abraham, this father of faith, and you find Rahab, who would have been the complete opposite. Somebody who was outside the faith. Somebody who put her trust in God and is brought in to be a part of God's covenant community. It's pretty spectacular how Rahab puts this faith in action. And by the way, Matthew's gospel tells us that Rahab becomes the great, 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 well, 30 generations grandmother of a man named Joseph whose son was named Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Wow, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? How faith becomes action. So from Abraham to Rahab, what we see in it, that real faith really works. It makes a difference. And what we're learning today is that faith is a verb. It's something we show in our actions. So just in conclusion here, I wonder how we could put our faith into action this week. 
And maybe it's showing mercy to someone in need. It might be assisting an aging parent or taking a meal to a neighbor. Or it could be um, giving to the benevolence funds we talked about. Maybe you're putting your faith in action is making a sacrifice, just like Abraham did. You're giving up, letting go, trusting God. And he sees your sacrifice. His provision is on the way. Is there a sacrifice God's calling you to make? For him, for your family, he sees that. Maybe like Rahab, it looks like taking a risk for the cause of Jesus Christ. Do you need to become a small group leader? Or do you need to start a business? Do you need to go back to school? Uh, is, uh, maybe it's beginning to give financially towards the kingdom or just get out of your comfort zone to share Jesus with a friend. I don't know what risk is for you, but one thing I've learned in my life is that faith is always spelled R-I-S-K. It's true. We step out in faith, trusting in God. And God holds you in his hand. So what does faith in action look like for you this week? How are you being called to trust in God as you live out your faith? As believers in our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, let's live out our faith this week and put it into action. Will you join me in prayer? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these examples you've given us, both positive and negative. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that changes lives. And I just pray for anyone who's here today and maybe they might be wondering, is my faith real? Is it genuine? And we just thank you, God, that in this moment our life can be changed. As we trust in Jesus Christ, as we make this real, as we surrender our life to Jesus Christ this morning, we just want to thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins rising from the dead to give us a new life. And maybe today, for the first time, we say, God, thank you for giving your life for me, and today I want to give my life to you. Would you save me? Would you change me? Would you make me new? Because I know, God, that right now I need something with you that's real. Your word said that Abraham became a friend of God. Help us to experience a closeness with you beyond anything we've ever experienced in this world. Help us to trust in you as our friends, to follow you. Would you lead us? Help us to risk, help us to sacrifice, take those steps of faith to care for those who are in need. Let us not just be Christians in, in talk, but in deed and in truth. And we ask that in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen, amen.